I'm Jeff Hampton, and welcome to the Legacy Builders Podcast. I have helped hundreds of investors protect their assets and maximize cash flow in order to help them create a path to generational wealth. Too often, hardworking high performers find that the structure of their investments not only cause liability, but also create tax issues. And it is my job as a lawyer to ensure that it is never the case. Each week, I will provide the tools, the tips, and the strategies to create maximum wealth in real estate and other investments, as well as interview some of the most successful people that have created their own path to legacy wealth. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Legacy Builders Podcast. Today, I'm excited to have a special guest, Angie Wisdom, with us. And Angie is, she's an award-winning life and business coach. And I'm excited. She's actually also the author of The Non-Negotiable You. She has uh, done a lot of work uh, with entrepreneurs. And I this kind of near and dear to my heart because as entrepreneurs, we kind of sometimes find ourselves to be a little odd, different from everyone else. Sometimes we're a little hard on ourselves. And one of the things that I want to really focus in on, on today, and we're going to hear from Angie, is we're going to hear a lot about how coaching can be a good thing. Having a life coach that helps gives you a different perspective can very much be uh, of benefit to you and help you grow. So Angie, thank you so much for coming today. Yeah, thanks for having me on, Jeff. I'm excited to be here. Well, awesome. I, I appreciate you taking the time. So I'm going to just hop right into this. We're just going to jump into the content here. So my number one question is a lot of times I'll get business owners as well as at doing asset protection work that that we do and working with a lot of higher, even higher net worth investors, they will come to us and sometimes they their mindset, you would be surprised on where it is. They have a tendency to be extremely hard on themselves. Mm -hmm. um, there's a book out there called The Gap and the Gain, right? Where, I, which I've read that, and, and it's a really good one by Benjamin Hardy. And, and what he'll talk about is saying that we have a tendency to live in that gap yes. where we're only seeing what we didn't achieve. And as a result of that, never giving ourselves any credit to live in the moment, mm -hmm. you know, so mm -hmm. to speak. So, why is it that you have found, especially working with so many, you know, entrepreneurs and, and uh, investors, why is it important that? business and life coaching can make a difference. Yeah. And you bring up something so valid. Um, Benjamin Hardy's work is amazing. And, and I know exactly what you're talking about there. And if you think about it, Jeff, like if somebody works for a company, you have a leader, you have a manager, you know exactly what your expectations are. You know what your benchmarks are. You have this very defined process of knowing whether or not you're meeting expectations. So it's this very kind of comfortable pace of like, this is what I need to do. And so I did it. And so I get, you know, the pat on the back, the raise, the promotion. But as entrepreneurs, we don't have that. You know, we don't have this set defined benchmark of what makes us successful or not successful. The mind of an entrepreneur is constantly growing and always thinking like there could be more, there could be something different, something better. So it becomes really important for that entrepreneur to have a sounding board, to have a coach, a mentor, somebody that can really look at things from that bird's eye view and ask the right questions to get them out of their own headspace. Because oftentimes entrepreneurs, they start measuring their success by things that are out of their control instead of those daily metrics that truly are theirs to control. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's good. I, I think we can easily identify, well, basically make our identity and associate our value mm -hmm. um, based upon what we achieve, right. whatever that means, right? Some metric that, you know, did our business double this year? Well, if it didn't, then what does that mean about us? Mm -hmm, right. Mm -hmm. And I think defining that as a success 
can, can be a problem. And I think that's why you see, this is very, you see it a lot with attorneys and some professionals, you know, it's crazy to me. I, I had a good uh, friend of mine who was an attorney that I knew, I mean, super successful. I mean, I'm talking about this guy, personal injury lawyer made, you're talking over $200 million over mm. a two to three year period wow. in, in settlements committed suicide mm. because his whole there right there in his office committed suicide. His family left devastated because from his perspective, he was living in that gap of seeing what he didn't do mm -hmm. and not recognizing anything about where he was at. So I think having that objective viewpoint and, and quite frankly, sometimes when you get to that place, you almost need a little, whether you call it therapy or just direction, right? right. You sometimes need a little direction to give you that third party perspective. Yeah. Um, so if, let me ask you this. So for someone who is listening and saying, well, that might apply to that guy, right? I'm sure he had separate issues we didn't know about. Mm -hmm. That doesn't apply to me. Coaching really doesn't matter. And I'm not asking for everybody to go, you know, work with Angie, which I think you should, <laughs> but I'm saying, I'm saying this because myself, I'm always looking to work with a mentor, someone who is in a place where I want to go, but I'm not there yet and can also object objectively take a look at where I'm at and help understand the direction. You know, there, there are ways that you can look at things. You don't know what you don't know. You, there's things that you can now open your eyes to based upon that direction. What would you say to that person who's kind of suspicious of even considering it? Yeah, you know, it's interesting because most people who are entrepreneurs are achievers, they're challengers. So they have this very big vision and this I can do attitude, which is phenomenal, but it often is that same attitude that gets in the way of going, I can figure it out. I can do it myself, you know? And so they stay in that space, but they're just, they're shortchanging themselves of the opportunity of what they can't see. Like you said, you don't know what you don't know. And I, I fell into that camp for a long time. You know, I was always like, I'll figure it out. I can do it. I, you know, super independent. And I realized at one point in time that, gosh, I'm going to get there eventually, but I would get there so much faster with a lot less resistance if I had somebody who could ask me those questions, who could present opportunities to me in a way I didn't see them. Going back to your point about focusing on you know, the gap and what you haven't done, when someone sits down with you and says, well, let's talk about what you have done and let's talk about how important that stuff is that you haven't done. Why are you putting the weight on that? It really starts to move things. And look, as entrepreneurs, it's all about bandwidth and clarity that we have so that we can continue to see where we want to go. So that bandwidth and clarity is huge. I mean, that's just, you can't put a price on that. So let me, let me ask you this kind of pivoting to yeah. this point that I think sometimes, you know, maybe an entrepreneur um, you know, maybe uh, somebody in business right now is listening to this or an investor is looking at it saying, well, you know, I don't have those type of thoughts. I don't have, I feel like I'm heading in the right direction. Sometimes the symptoms of this issue aren't always what people think they are. And mm -hmm. so I, I know myself, I guess what I'm saying, I know myself as an entrepreneur, I want to always be in momentum, right? You want to right. feel like, I don't know, it's almost like this innate sense of desire of always want to be pushing. And, and if I'm, if there's ever a feeling of kind of settling in or being complacent in some regard, there's this deep sense of just uneasiness, mm -hmm, right? And you can mm -hmm. start to feel that way. So I think sometimes when you're not feeling like you're in momentum, you'll find people doing things that are, they wouldn't think about as being a problem, which I have dealt with this, which is some people turn to food. Yeah. Some people turn to drinking too much. So here's a big one that I've had to work on over the years is some people turn to overworking, working mm -hmm, too much, mm -hmm. right? 
And so let's say, you know, kind of a hot seat issue here. If somebody comes to you and that's the case, they say, well, I just can't stop working. And they find themselves almost drifting away in their relationships. How does that, how is there someone to, you know, from your perspective, how do you begin to help give them the compass back to understanding that they're, they're drifting away and they don't know it. And it's going to take away from their ability to even really be the entrepreneur they could be. Right. You're that's spot- not going to work. Like yeah. That. You're spot on about that. And it all goes back to your values system. Now, when people are kind of debating on coaching or not coaching, I'm always asking the questions like, is there something that you want to change? You know, are you A plus 100% happy with everything that's going on in your life and your business? And you want to just keep cruising at that space, you know, in that pace, then maybe you don't need coaching, you know, but it's the desire to have something different, whether it's the way you show up in your business, whether it's more growth, whether it's less stress, more balance. It's that that usually gets people going, how do I get that? You know, and that's where you start seeking out that coach aspect of it. And I like to think of it too, is like, we are so much better off when we can do things proactively instead of reactively. Mm -hmm. So oftentimes people think about coaching from a space of, well, if I have this problem, if I run into this wall, then I'll get a coach. But then now you're doing all this work to undo the problem versus approaching it from the standpoint of going, well, what are the opportunities here? You know, let's approach this from a place of growth and opportunity instead of fixing. So I just kind of wanted to throw that comment in about what you said, but really if someone comes and they're like being pulled away because they're working too much, we've got to check in on those values. What's most important in your life and what fuels you to be the best entrepreneur? And nine times out of 10, you need that balance. You need those other things showing up in your life, whether it's family, whether it's physical activity, um, your spirituality, alone time, the things that really make you run and fuel your fire. You have to be getting those in, in order to show up as your best self. You know, I have had this conversation with a number of people. I'm curious of your thoughts on this, where how many times have we, like people are listening right now and they're hearing what you're saying. And they're saying, gosh, that's so, that's so true. I need to do that. I need, I need to take these and maybe even internally saying I need to do X, Y, and Z. Mm-hmm. And then how many people then don't do that? Mm-hmm. Right. And so what they'll do is they'll think about it and then they'll feel overwhelmed by whatever steps should be taken in order to get to that place. Cause right. I talk to people all the time and I've suffered from this in, in the multiple law firms that I've run in my past where there would be times I'd look at it and say, Yes, I do want to buy back that time. Yes, I do want to build a team. Yes, I do want to delegate these things. And then there's this feeling of what are all the excuses? Can't find the right A players. Can't seem to, right? I can't delegate this, Mm -hmm. this belief, which I think is a limiting belief that, you know, no one else can do what I can do, Right. right? Or somehow... They can't, someone else can't step in and do this, which I've since learned that's never the case. There's right. always somebody who can actually do better than what I can do. Right. Yes. But, but what's the, here's the question that I'm leading to is, you know, what's the difference between learning and wisdom? Yeah. Right. So you can say like, I, or I, actually let me rephrase that. What's the difference between knowledge and wisdom? I can say, I know something, but when does it actually begin to change my life? My answer to that normally has been, some type of application. Mm-hmm. You've got to apply the knowledge that you have when you're talking to a business owner and they even hear what you're saying. Like, just be frank. I know what I need to do to lose weight. Right. Okay. <laughs> I know what I need to do. You can name these things, but where are you finding a lot of times when you're as a life coach, maybe this even goes back to being a life coach as in addition to being a business coach, 
where are you finding that disconnect and how do you help people try to bridge that gap? Mm-hmm. Is it habit? Is it, what, what is it that makes the difference? Yeah. And Jeff, we see this all over the place, not just in coaching with the amount of information and resources we have out there today. I mean, look, we both have podcasts, right? So people tune into podcasts. Right. There's a new great book every day. People are consuming all this information and knowledge at a rapid pace. But if you don't, like you said, apply it, you don't take action on it, then sure, you know it and you can share it with somebody, but you're not actually going to be utilizing it and having it have that impact on your life. So I I love this conversation because I'm a big believer in only digesting enough of something where you can understand what action to take and how to apply it. I will literally read books in a fashion of, okay, that's something interesting that I want to apply. And I stop right there and I start applying it in my everyday life. And I'll pick up that book again once I feel like I've taken that action. So that that gap, yeah, that you're talking about is just really going, when you hear something that sounds important, going, what's one thing I can do? One thing. We often look at this big picture and like the what it's going to create and this grand vision, but that's overwhelming. It's just step it back. What's one way I can implement? See, that's so good because I... I will tell you this. I, I use this example mm-hmm. with uh, another gentleman I was talking to recently. Is he went to a he went to a Tony Robbins, yeah. like you know the unlimited power within. I yep. think the UPW event. Well, he I found out he was excited about, it, but I found out he had been to it like I think five times before, uh-huh. and so he had been to the same event event five times. He would get pumped up about it. It was really exciting. Then we'd come back and. Nothing had changed yeah. in his life from the previous four or five times, but he had no idea why it became one of these things where it's like, you know, the irrational exuberance of attending the event, right? It's like, oh, well, I'm going to change all these things. Then we get back to our normal life. And, and to me, without charting out, even starting one thing, right? Mm-hmm. I know everybody's read Atomic Habits, yeah. other books like that, where sometimes I think that bridge of the gap is I have all the intent in the world, mm-hmm. but if I don't create an action step, even if it's a small one and add to it, then the behavior becomes who we are. Right. Ultimately that ends up dictating who we become, not our intent. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that, I think that's, I think that's difficult because that's why you run into a lot of people who say things. I could have done this if my circumstances were different mm-hmm. or this could have been that way in my life. And people kind of take on that playing the victim role of talking about how other circumstances held them back. And I think that is one of the hardest things to help educate. I, I've got four kids. I want to try to help my my children understand, hey, hey, we don't take that role. We take accountability and ownership of every decision we make. And the only way to get it, plus it's the only positive thing you can do anyway. It's the right. only way to get out of it. Yeah, right? absolutely. I mean, pointing the finger at someone else doesn't help you uh, get out of that. So I think that's hard. If you find, have somebody coming to you, what are some of the ways that you try to help them get out of that victim mindset? It's, it's funny you bring this up because literally a chapter in my book is responsibility and it's so key. And oftentimes we lack responsibility or we step into that victim mentality, not in a conscious manner. It just subconsciously happens to us based upon past experiences and stories. So it just comes quickly that excuse, you know, oh, I couldn't make it to the gym or I couldn't, you know, go see that client or whatever it may have been because of this. And we don't even consciously think about it. So I I like to get people in this place of going, you know, I don't care what decision you make. 
you can choose not to go to the gym. You can choose not to do your business development if that's a conscious choice for you. Like you have to literally put your two choices in your hands and go and say, I'm choosing this or I'm not choosing this, but I'm taking responsibility for it. And once we get into this habit of consciously being involved in our decisions and knowing what the outcome could be, then we're getting on that right track of not being a victim. Hey, you don't want to go to the gym? Just own it. Don't make up an excuse. Just own right. it. That's it. Yeah, that, that's right. And then then the consequences aren't someone else's fault. Yes. We accept whatever those are. Yep. And so just a, a, a true ownership, accountability. I, I love that old statement that people say, no one holds, I, like if you're a business owner listening right now and you say, I have to do, I have to figure out a way to hold my team accountable. That's impossible. Mm -mm. People hold themselves accountable. It's impossible to hold someone else accountable right. the, for the most part. Right. And so I think that's, that's an important thing that our society doesn't always really echo in the way things are said. Yeah. I think it's really easy for that mentality to, to, to exist. It is. Um, so let me ask you this, because sure. I know you, you've also done a lot of work in investing. You've yeah. done actually owned an investment firm. Is that right? Still do. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, awesome. That's right. Yeah. And so, and I ask this because a lot of the the listeners and clients that I have, they are heavily involved in investing. And so maybe they're doing a lot of real estate investing, a lot of, I have a lot of short-term rental investors mm -hmm. that, uh, that I work with every day. One of the things that I see though, is this same kind of mindset uh, that mindset issues become a hurdle. Let's say they had a bad experience with their first investment, right? Mm -hmm. And then what tends to happen? We create this, you know, we create this uh, mindset immediately that either I'm not good at investing, so I can't do this and I'm just never going to do it again. Right. Or we, that pain, right? No one wants to experience pain again. And so they have a hard time going back into that and they miss out on the opportunity to build long-term wealth. I mean, all of us have, something that didn't turn out, sure. like this, you know? And, and so I, I think that maybe entrepreneurs don't have as big of an issue with this, but when I deal with a lot of, uh, you know, investors, I, I felt so terrible. I had a investing uh, husband and wife who came to me, they bought a property out in the Smoky Mountains mm. and it just, they didn't know for sure what they were doing. They hadn't done the due diligence on it. And it just turned out bad. They were basically ended up having to sell it at a loss mm -hmm. and then they were defeated. They were devastated. They were just never doing this again. Right. And so how do you also deal with that? If someone suffered a great loss or they kind of come at you with a little bit of trauma from mm -hmm, what they've gone through mm -hmm. to work past that, to say, it's okay to take a risk again. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I mean, first we have to have the motivation, you know, and, and recheck with them. If you could do this and have a different result, would you want to do it again? And most people would say yes. So we re-engage that motivation. And then it almost comes back to this responsibility and getting rid of the victim mentality we don't just use yep. this blanket statement of like, oh, I'm a horrible investor. I'm just not good at this. No, let's take responsibility and look at what went well, what didn't go well, what we could learn and how we can avoid making the same mistake again. Most people don't want to dig into that because of the pain. So you have to be willing to look at, wow, I didn't really analyze the numbers as well as I should. Or, wow, I kind of didn't look at all my options and I just jumped in based on somebody else's advice. You have to take ownership of all those decisions that maybe didn't lead you in the right direction so that you know not to do it again. But like I said, most people don't want to dig into the pain, but being able to look at that is what sets you up for that next opportunity where you're going to trust yourself at a new level. You know, really what it is, it, and I use that as an example for yeah. investing, but in reality, 
it's, it's anything in life. If someone, mm -hmm. if someone, you know, has their first love and they get hurt, yeah. some people choose that they're not going to trust ever love again. Right. Mm -hmm. So I think it kind of comes back to many people are used to living their life in, by an emotional response mm -hmm. and then allowing their, their behavior to follow their emotions as opposed to allowing logic and reason to, to kind of intercede between those emotions. Right. You know what I mean? And so there's, I, I always remind my son of this, you know, there's a lot of people sitting down at the jail right now that made a decision based upon their emotions mm -hmm. um, that they now regret. And I think that, I think it's really good there to remind people that when you get into that position, that fear is merely an emotion that is not always rational that you have to stop and say, let's actually dissect why it didn't turn out. Right. And it does. And, and what we did wrong. So we learned from it that we don't do that again. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So and, true. Yeah. So let me, let me ask you about one of the things I know you, I've heard you talk about before as well is a lot of people are doing things and they don't even know why they're doing it. Mm -hmm. They don't have a real, you talk about check in with people's motivation. Yeah. To me, when we talk about someone checking in with their motivation, that goes back to their why, right? Like why, what is all this about? Why are we doing what we're doing? There's some people that are out trying to build wealth. They don't know why mm -hmm. they have no idea what they would do with it. They don't know really because the why also leads to I think the values are up here and the why springs forth from that. Right. Mm -hmm. And so what if, where, where do you find that to be an issue when someone has a hard time locating their why, how do you help them kind of get their compass in line with making sure their values are where they should be. Yeah. The values, I mean, you're, you're saying it right there. And what you talked about earlier about making emotional decisions and emotional responses, that is you're either emotionally based, you know, when you come to your decisions or you're value based and most people don't know their values, the values that people have get pushed out along a life journey. If you're not intentional about keeping them in there, you know, you have these values when you're younger and then you get married and you have a job and you have kids and all these things pile up and you kind of forget and society just directs you. Well, we should have short-term rental properties and we should have passive income. So you start doing things without putting your values behind them. So it's the first thing I do with clients is really go, okay, we need to figure out what your values are because that actually is your compass for every decision that you make. So when somebody's considering buying a short-term rental property or having passive income, and it's like, okay, what value does this align with? And sometimes it's mm -hmm. stability and security. Sometimes it's financial freedom and abundance. Um, sometimes it's social contact, you know, because they, they gather there or something. So understanding what that value is, is the first step and really going, okay, this is why it's important to me. And, and your why really is in your value. If you want stability and security, why is that important to you? And most people yeah. can trace that back to, well, as a child, you know, I, I didn't have anything. I, we didn't have food to eat or we moved from house to house or we got evicted or I saw my mom work three jobs. So the why is just a little bit deeper under where that value is. Yeah. You know, to, um, I can actually relate to that mm -hmm. because I, I had, I had a, horrific event that happened to me back in 2011, I ate sushi that led to bone marrow failure and liver failure. Wow. That it was when I had just left the district attorney's office to start my practice. And that kind of created a little PTSD in sure. me because for the first six months I was in the hospital, I couldn't work. We were living, barely surviving. Mm -hmm. And so I had to work through some of those issues as well for a period of time because the whole mindset for the next couple of years after that was, 
just survive. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, you, you have to keep, you have to do everything you can to hoard everything you can, because what if something happens again? You know, like right. the unthinkable, once the unthinkable does happen to you, it, it's hard to sometimes disassociate yourself from that and be willing to take that risk again. Mm -hmm. And so I, I can, I can, I can relate with what, uh, with what you're saying there. And I think sometimes people have a hard time doing that because of something in their past. Yeah. And you have to really look at, I like to have people write their controllables and uncontrollables all the time, you know, make a T-chart and write down the things that you can control and the things that you can't control. Nine times out of 10, people are focused on the things they can't control. And when you focus on those, you're kind of like a, a car stuck in mud. Your wheels are spinning, but you're not going anywhere. You're not getting any traction. And that becomes frustrating mm -hmm. and the problem grows. So it's really about going like in your situation, right? That what a, a freak occurrence, right? That you ate yeah. sushi and this is all that kind of came of it. Right. And that is an uncontrollable of yours, right? If you continue to worry about something like that, it's totally out of your control, then we're missing all your energy and bandwidth focusing on the things that you can control. So there's this shift that people constantly have to make to go, what do I have control over? And that's where I should be putting my energy and my bandwidth. Yeah, that's really good because I think our temptation and just the way that we are is the tendency to worry about the things we don't control. Right. And we use the worry over what we we do not control as an excuse to not do the things we can control, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And so one creates this very distorted excuse for the other. Well, so I want to ask you as we, you know, over the, la the last kind of five or 10 minutes yeah. we have here, I want to ask you when you've, over the number of people that you've coached and just kind of the opportunities you've had to deal with high performers and entrepreneurs, what are some of the things that you see instead of me telling you things that I have seen and that I was curious about your thoughts are, what are some of the things that you think are important that entrepreneurs and investors need to look out for mm -hmm. in areas maybe a, a cer certainly associated with your book that you think are really not really being paying, paying attention to as we live our lives as entrepreneurs? Yeah. A couple of key things. Um, one, the whole book that I wrote, The Non-Negotiable You, is written on this premise of you have to have the best relationship with yourself in order to create your best life, your best business, anything that you want to come from you. You know, you're only as good, you're, what you create is only as good as the producer. So that's a big push for all of my clients is like, no matter what they want, we first have to get you in line with yourself so that you're the most important person in your life. You have the best relationship with you. You trust yourself. You guide yourself. You have control of your mind. That's number one. Because once you get to that space, then you're able to really do whatever you want. And that's the beauty of my job is like, I love seeing people accomplish and create what they never thought was possible. But one of the biggest hurdles I think is important for people listening here in the entrepreneur space and the investment state space is what you said earlier in believing that you have to do something that you can't delegate it, that nobody's going to do it as well as you. It's a conversation I probably have on a daily basis with at least one client as they're trying to grow, as they're trying to scale, whether it's with the properties they manage, the business that they manage, they always put themselves in this position where they are the end all be all and nobody else could do it. And as soon as you start thinking like that, you've put a lid on your growth. You've put a lid on your financial wealth, on your revenue, on anything that's tied to something going up. So that you have to catch that. Yeah, yeah that's really good because the other thing is that you know, most business owners, 
I try to remind them, hey, because we talk about building you know, long-term generational wealth. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times talk about, a lot of times people talking about, uh, you know, I'm going to escape my W-2 and I'm going to start a business. Right. That's great. But do you understand if you do that, you've actually done nothing but take on, you've bought your own job right? or you've started your own job is what you've done. And, and I try to remind people too, if you have any plan for an exit, which for some people that goes back to their why, why am I doing this? It will have no enterprise value. Mm-hmm. No one is ever going to want to buy a business that is a hundred percent dependent upon you. Right. <laughs> you know, and I think that's one of the areas where I, a lot of times, especially smaller business entrepreneurs, they, they have a tendency to not focus amount, the amount of resources on the systems and the processes. And, and maybe you've probably could speak to this. Sometimes it's worth paying up for the A players to come in and do that as, as opposed to seeing labor always as an expense or a cost mm-hmm. that many times that could be the key that unlocks the, the, the growth engine. If you bring in the right people to replace what you're doing. It's so true. And, and I like to throw that cost, um, you know, kind of flip it around the other side. Like people go, well, that's going to cost me so much, you know, for me to bring on this person or for me to expand my team. And I'm like, what's it going to cost you if you don't do it? And as soon yeah. as we flip that question around, they're like, oh my gosh, whether it's their own personal freedom, whether it's the cap on their company's revenue, you realize that the cost to not bring in the right people and, and expand is much more expensive than the cost to do it. So let's say there's somebody who decides, okay, I do want to do this. And I work with a lot of people in service-based businesses and things like that. What are some of the things that if they recognize they have a vision, they are going to take ownership of that. Mm -hmm. What is one of the next kind of things, like the the one thing they should do to kind of make that next leap forward to take action so it doesn't become just some aspirational goal and it actually starts to lead towards delegating those responsibilities. Yeah. I would say the thing I love to do, and this is actually Ben Hardy speaks about this a lot in um, his 10X is easier than 2X is really look at your roles and responsibilities. Look at what you're doing on a day-to-day basis and start to star the things that are really your high level money making responsibilities. Mm. And, you know, put a minus sign next to the things that really are just costing you energy, time and bandwidth. When you see that, then you start to understand, okay, these are the things that I could delegate. And all of a sudden you have that much more time to, again, apply to these higher level money-making activities where you should be. And so getting that on paper and seeing it makes a big difference in wanting you to take action. Once you have that, then you start to figure out, okay, what kind of person would do these things? What kind of wage would I have to pay them? What kind of skills would they have to have? And you start visualizing who is going to do this. And it's a funny thing when you start to do that, the momentum shifts a little bit. And all of a sudden you get to the space where you're like, I can't imagine not having this person. You know, the motivation really changes. That is so true. And then what will happen, what I have found on this is that over time, as you begin to do this, your identity will begin to change as to what you see your role within the business. Absolutely. And so now your mindset can shift as well. You know, I, I used to refer to myself as an attorney. Mm-hmm. Now I say I'm an entrepreneur who happens to be an attorney. Yeah. Right? So yeah. In, in reality, the attorney aspect of it is is a piece of it. But in reality, my identity is what I spend my time doing. And I I, I think a lot of times people don't even know what they spend their time doing. Mm-hmm. And I think I, I've reminded people do a time audit. Yes. You will be shocked. If you were to sit down and like mark every 15 to 20 minutes of your day 
and get to, you know, do that for a week and then sit down and take a look at your, <laughs> look at, look at what you've written. You're going to be shocked. Mm -hmm. right? Yep. And the, the amount of time that we waste and the amount of time that we spend on very low level activities. And so I know when I did this, it was transformative for me. I was able to circle so many things that I could say, this will be delegated. Right. I'm going to find the position because my hourly rate or what I normally produce relative to the work I'm doing down here economically makes no sense. Absolutely. Um, and that's, you know, kind of the whole concept of buying back your time, mm -hmm. you, know, you buy back some of that time and that's worth it. So yeah. I think that's, I think that's really good. I think that's really good advice. Yeah, go I was going to say, you know, the icing on the cake for that too, Jeff, is that when you do that, you realize that those things that you start to delegate were all such energy drainers. It wasn't what oh. you love to do. And all of a sudden yes. you're like, oh, I get to do more of what I love, more of where my strengths are, my zone of genius. And that becomes so empowering and exciting because a lot of those like low level things, they're have tos. Like you just do them because they have to get done. And people at an right. entrepreneur level, you don't thrive in that space. So it kind of creates burnout and lack of motivation too. Well, th that is really a good point because I think one of the things that I, I remind people, we know, most people know what their unique abilities mm -hmm. are. They know what their strengths are. And if you, you should be like you use that term zone of genius, you should be in that zone of genius as much as you can and then spend some time decompressing yeah. so that you're going to have the time to be in that flow state so that when you're in that zone of genius, you're producing at a level that, you know, I know when, you know, people talk about the flow state, there's actually science on this. Right. People talk about that flow state. And one of the things that I know when I've been in that flow state, I could produce, you know, 10, 10 times the amount uh, of productive work that I could just trying to slog through something and right. force my way through it. But you've got to structure your time and and be in that zone of genius before that will ever happen. So yeah. you'll see those types of results. So I like I like that book you talked about. Ten X is better than two mm -hmm. X. It's a lot of what they speak. About. It is. This is my. I'll give you a favorite question. I have my clients ask all the time. You know, it, or a, a statement. I say, just because you can doesn't mean you should. And you have mm -hmm. to think that all the time and ask yourself when you're deciding to do something. Ask yourself, I can, but should I? And you'll instantly start to find the things that you should not be doing. That's so good. Well, Angie, listen, I want to thank you. First of all, I want to encourage everybody, go out and pick up the non-negotiable you. And by the way, how can they find you? Yeah. What's the best way for them to get the book? Share that with everybody. Absolutely. AngieWisdom.com is the website. Um, the book is on Amazon, non-negotiable you. It's bestseller. All the social media platforms, Angie Wisdom or Angie Wisdom Life Coach. It's an easy name to find out there. So you can find me. It's fantastic. I encourage everybody to do that. And Angie, I look forward to seeing you in a couple of weeks yes. when we get a chance to share the stage with each other in Nashville. And uh, it's been a pleasure to have you on here today. Folks, go check out our website. And those of you that don't have a coach, you need to go talk to her, you know, find out what's going on here. As you can tell, she knows what she's doing. And so I want to thank you, Angie, for taking the time to come on today. Thanks, Chef. I'll see you soon. All right. Thanks, everybody. This is another episode of Legacy Builders. We look forward to seeing you on our next episode.